1: This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On
0: your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross... Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you again on this Wednesday. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. At Mississippi Land Bank, they've been financing land in North Mississippi for over 100 years. They've kind of got it figured out. And it's not just if you're buying land. It could be certain things that you're doing to land. Maybe you're putting a pond in. Maybe it's uh, a spot where you're going to build a cabin or put a shop or build a dream home. Mississippi Land Bank understands the lay of the land, and they can help you with all of those things. Visit their website, mslandbank.com. To find a branch location in North Mississippi or grab the phone number and give them a call. Great folks at Mississippi Land Bank. We're glad to have you along this afternoon. The C Spire text line is wide open for you. 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Hey, Dad, you made it back safely from Tuscaloosa, I presume?
0: I am here, so I guess so.
2: Yeah, I mean, no adventures on the way home last night?
0: No, uh, none of those. Just, a, just a late night. I was, I was battling Rippy. Rippy and I were, I guess, we're having a contest to see who can go to bed later uh, from getting home from Tuscaloosa.
2: Well, I was going to say, what was your caffeine consumption like? Because apparently, Rippy's was off the chart. Some mixture of Red Bull and coffee. I don't know if he got to the point where he actually poured Red Bull in his coffee. You tried that before, Rippy? No, but it might be coming. <laughs> might be on the
3: horizon. One or two more road trips down the road. Yeah. There you go. It's shorter for you though, right? Like that was looking at just under three hours for me.
0: Yeah, it's a shorter drive, obviously. But when I got back to Starkville, we, Joel T. Coleman and I had to record the Thunder and Lightning podcast. So it was about two a.m. before I got a uh, head to pillow.
2: Ooh. So was that top shelf podcast or one of those where it's like, yeah, it might not have been our best work, but hey, it's at you least know you know
0: what? You know what? We just grant we, we 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 had to grind through it. We grind for our state, and uh, we got it done. <laughs>
2: Can't believe you just said that.
1: Oh yeah. Actually I can believe you just said that. Michael Borky, what's up with you? I went to bed at like ten thirty last night, so hey. sucks to be you.
0: <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, my <laughs> wife out of town this weekend, so I'm Mr. Mom I had to be up at six to get oh, to, uh, man. Kids to school.
1: Ooh. Quick so. turnaround. Yeah. Quick turnaround. Yeah.
2: I was I was kind of uh, I was kind of in between. It was like a one o'clock bedtime night for me. Um, which means and Jane always gets up earlier than I do, and she's kind of like rock star mom in the morning. She does breakfast for the kids and makes sure they're generally uh, ready to go, and I'm up in time always to drive them to school. Well, this was one of those mornings where she had to politely ask two or three times, uh, Richard, I could really use a hand. Uh, okay. So I got the message after the uh, second or third call down the hallway. Um got a bunch to get to this afternoon. As has been the case recently, there will be baseball on the menu. We'll start this afternoon, though, with basketball after Mississippi State's game last night in Tuscaloosa. What about the Weatherspoon injury, Nick Weatherspoon injury? How long will he be out? What does it mean for Mississippi State if he does miss any extended amount of time? We'll look at what else happened last night in the SEC. Ole Miss plays basketball tonight in Gainesville against the Florida Gators. Um... Vorky, you got to explain this to me. What did I miss? Or are you trying to be funny, Sean Payton? No, I'm not
1: trying to be funny. This actually happened. There was two press conferences today involving the NFL. One was Roger Goodell's State of the Union uh, type address that he does Super Bowl week every year. But just a couple hours before that, Sean Payton had his end of the year press conference with the local media there in New Orleans. And Barstool is famous for a lot of things, but one thing that they're really popular with is the Roger Goodell clown shirt, which is a, a light blue shirt that has... It kind of looks like uh, the, the old Barack Obama Yes We Can posters. like It's animated like that. Um, but there's a clown nose on Roger Goodell's face, so it's a Roger Goodell clown shirt. Sean Payton had a jacket on, but it was zipped just enough to where you could see the top of Roger Goodell's head. He was wearing the Roger Goodell clown shirt today talking to local media just a couple hours before Roger Goodell took the podium himself. So he didn't actually take his, like,
2: I found the pictures, he's got like a pullover on, so he didn't actually take that off. Right. We're just assuming no, that that's what that is.
1: It's exactly <laughs> what it is. Somebody superimposed the, um, the face, like the photoshopped face from the shirt and like put it on to his jacket and the lines matched up perfectly he had it unzipped just enough to where somebody if they knew what the shirt was which everybody on the internet recognized it almost right away knew exactly what it was
3: I was about to say that was no accident
2: it it was almost like the guy that unbuttons one button too many because he wants you to see his gold chain or his chest hair or whatever exactly their, their strategy and exactly how far that pullover was unzipped? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Roger Goodell did talk with uh, the media today. I actually thought some of the things that he said today were interesting. I didn't think there was anything interesting he said with regard to replay in the Saints game, but you know, just kind of some other random topics were uh, were a little interesting. Deuce McAllister will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. We will talk about what Roger Goodell had to say today. If it does anything to soothe the feeling of Saints fans, uh, spoiler alert, it didn't. Yeah. But we'll talk to Deuce about that, plus get a little bit of a preview of the Super Bowl as well. The SEC television baseball schedule is out. And good news if you're a fan of Ole Miss or a fan of Mississippi State. It can be on TV a bunch. Hey, I did not. I was reading through that schedule earlier, and I failed to look to see if the Governor's Cup is on television.
1: Give me about 10 seconds and I'll be able to tell you. Doesn't appear to be.
2: Yeah, I I don't think it is. It, I don't I don't know exactly off the top of my head when that game is mid to late April, right? I mean, it's not it's not once you get into May. Um, As
1: of right now, no. It, it okay. is not scheduled to be on television.
2: Uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State will play each other the weekend of May 11th, and one of those three games will be on television. Uh, The Sunday afternoon game will be at noon central on ESPN2. The other two games will be on the SEC Network Plus. So uh, we'll get into what all is on that. Hey, Dad, give me a high-level thought before we kind of dive into last night's game with Alabama and Mississippi State. You sent me a picture of the crowd ten minutes before tip-off, mm-hmm. and it was one of those you could throw a dead cat and not hit anybody in an entire section. Wow. But it filled in nicely.
0: Yeah. And you said that when, I said, when you sent your text back, you said probably a late-arriving crowd, and you hit the nail on the head. It ended up being a pretty good crowd there in Alabama just a game where state made too many mistakes and to 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 crawl out of the hole you know they 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 fought and fought and really did a good job you know when when they when Alabama pushed the lead out to 14 I thought okay this game might be about to get away from Mississippi State uh, but they kept fighting they cut it to three Bama pushed it back to 10 they cut it back all the way to two they had the ball down three under 30 seconds and they get a they draw up a play, and Tyson Carter gets a great look and give Alabama's Kira Lewis a lot of credit. He made a tremendous play to block that shot. I, I know that when it left Carter's hand, I thought it was going to go in just because when he gets that open, he's he's usually good. And it got blocked, and, and State was just never able to recover from there.
2: I've seen a lot of people say that the performance at the free throw line was really the difference in the game. Sometimes that's oversimplifying, but when you look at the number of missed free throws in that game for Mississippi State last night and the final margin, I don't know if it's oversimplifying or not.
0: Yeah, I mean you miss ten free throws and you lose by four. I mean I, you, nobody expects to go you know twenty for twenty at the line. I mean it's a rare thing unless you're Grant Williams, I guess, but. When you're 12 of 22 and you lose the game by four points, people are going to point to that, and rightly so. Not that, not that Alabama was much better from the free throw. No, they the were brutal throw, also. Free throw shooting was at a premium, as was three-point shooting uh, last night. So, yes, I mean, state, you, you can point to a lot of different things that State did that cost them the game. Free throw shooting, three-point shooting. Their interior defense was awful. Um, they just They just played poorly enough that when they started playing well, it wasn't enough to get the win.
2: I'll let you think on this a little bit. We'll pick up the conversation right here. I would submit to you that while, yes, the interior defense was awful, in reality, all of the defense was awful. Mm -hmm. And if Alabama shoots it just a little bit better from behind the arc, that thing's ugly because they had a bunch of open looks. We'll talk about why I would uh, submit that for consideration when we come back, don't forget again, C Spire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. You can also tweet the show at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. That's the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. Plenty more coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Message on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Glad to have you along for the ride on this Wednesday afternoon. So the message said this, and there may be something to it. He said, maybe I missed something you guys said, but State and Alabama were both terrible from the three-point line and the free-throw line. With the score that close, I think if both teams shot better, the score differential would have been similar. Basically, they were four to five points better than Mississippi State last night. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that idea. I think maybe the point that we were trying to make was there was an opportunity to take advantage there for both teams if you just play a little bit better, whereas if both teams play a little bit better, then maybe the result is the same the way uh, you're describing it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, both teams didn't play great, and this is what you ended up with. If both teams had played great, I tend to think you might have ended up with the same result. If obviously, if one team had played better, it could have been a much bigger victory or a victory for Mississippi State. Uh, but like I said, you know, the shooting was just poor last night, and State's defense w- was was poor. I thought, you know, Alabama I, at, at no point in the game, even though State scored seventy nine points and had had some times where the ball was falling for them, was I just thinking, gosh, defensively Alabama's not playing very well? I thought it was more of State's offense was executing well, but with Alabama, I thought it was more State's defense was was executing poorly. Uh, just not getting, not communicating with each other, uh, allowing penetration into the paint, which allowed for easy uh, passes, which allowed for easy dunks. There was one point in the game, and I, I mentioned this in my article uh, that you can read on supertalk.fm, that Alabama's uh, post game or one of their promotions in the game is the dunk of the game. And I looked down to a couple of other beat writers like, which one are they going to pick? They have about ten choices. Yeah. Uh, they, they had to have been double-digit dunks in that game. Alabama just kept getting to the rim. They had fifty-four points in the paint when it was all said and done, uh, and, and that to me was the biggest difference in the game for Mississippi State.
2: Um, I, I think I read this correctly in your story. I think it was your, uh, I think it was Joel Coleman from the Thunder and Lightning podcast that that tweeted this in the ball game. If I am looking at these numbers correctly, sixty-nine of Alabama's eighty-three points. No, it can't be right. You gotta back out the twenty two points from the free throw line and the three the the one three point shot they made. So you back twenty-five out of eighty-three. I'll let somebody else do that math on the fly. Right. They didn't make a two point jump shot, is what I'm getting at. So everything right. was either in the paint, fifty four points in the paint, one made three, and twenty two made free throws.
0: Right. Here's here's the the tweet you're looking at. It's Alabama scored 83 points. 76 of them came from either the paint or the free throw line. They okay. did hit one three. That means they they would have had two more jump shots somewhere. And not not you know not not necessarily a long jump shot. It could have been a short jumper, but a jump shot. They they only scored seven points off of in the whole game. Everything wow. else from the line or from the or near the rim
2: pretty uh pretty staggering. So what I said before we went to the break was that I would submit to you that the defense as a whole was bad for Mississippi State. You pointed out the interior defense. I understand why you would say that because of all of those points inside, but if you watch the game, Alabama was able to drive to the rim and and get to the rim pretty much at will. Yeah. And so I would say you got a lot of guards that are breaking down defensively out on the perimeter. That are allowing guys to get inside, and then you don't have the defense on the inside either, either to help.
0: Right. It just—it was a complete breakdown defensively, and you know, Howland sort of discussed it in post-game, and when we talk to him again on Friday, we'll try to see if we can go a little deeper into that, but. <laughs> He made it sound like it was just a lack of communication, and, that, and that's really sort of bothersome because, you know, when you look at your front court and you've got Holman and Adou, two upperclassmen, guys who have played a lot of games, you expect those guys to, to be better uh, defensively, you know, especially with Adou because that's what he's in there for. He's certainly not in there for offense. He didn't even have a shot attempt uh, in this game. so he's That's in two there of the last know,
2: three games, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And so he's in there to protect the rim. And so if he's not doing that, why is he in the game? You know that he's just a black hole in there offensively, and if he's not going to give you anything defensively, then you really got to talk about what his role is on this basketball team.
2: I was chuckling, but not because of anything you said. It's the fact that basically anytime Ben Howland gives you an explanation for why something happened, it's like it makes you matter, knowing the reason that he's yeah. giving well' it's like he's like, uh so why were they able to get to the rim so well poor communication. Well that's not an okay
0: reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's that's the reason but how did we get to that point? How why weren't they communicating? That's we get we get the what, we never get the why. We never get the, you know the the explanation of how it got to that point. You know when he talks about you know Robert Wooder didn't play, oh well I just I just didn't do a good job of managing the roster. Well, yes, I get that. I know that. <laughs> why didn't you do a better job of managing the roster so those those are the questions yeah and and that's just sort of you know i like, said so we'll try to get a little bit more uh, in detail friday when we have media availability with Allen again but yeah you're right uh can <laughs> there's a lot of coach speak when you deal with ben hallen
2: can reggie perry get some more minutes 20 minutes eighteen points, seven rebounds nine of 12 shooting with uh two blocks
0: I enjoyed uh, Avery Johnson's answer. Somebody asked him, was "Was he on the scouting report? And Avery Johnson was like, oh, he was on the scouting report. Yeah, we knew about him. But I don't think they knew that he was going to play the kind of game he did. He had 14 points in the second half. He really spearheaded that MSU comeback uh, with with some second-chance points, with a couple of jump shots, uh, you know, with his energy. He and Woodard, they just play with more energy than Holman and a doo-doo. And I I know that sounds funny to say Holman and a doo-doo, but – I really think those guys have got to get more minutes. And in Perry's case, and we haven't talked about Nick Weatherspoon's injury yet, I wonder if State might decide to go with a bigger lineup and go with Perry, Holman, and Adou. Uh But but one way or the other, yeah, Perry has is, is really made a case that he needs to be a starter over Adu Because I think you, you aren't going to lose that much defensively. He's certainly a good rebounder. But he is going to give you opportunities on offense that Abdul Adu is just not going to give you.
2: There is something from this game last night that I think is a little troubling if you're an Ole Miss fan. And that is that Mississippi State went 3-of-19 from behind the arc. Hmm. Because they've kind of got a history this year of having a two- or three-game stretch of really shooting it poorly, and then they go out and shoot 54% from behind the arc. Now, maybe that 54% game was the last game against Auburn, and now they're in the middle of a two- or three-game stretch where they don't hit threes. My guess is they're a good bit better from behind the arc than the 15%, 16% that they shot last night on Saturday when they roll into the pavilion.
0: Well, it's interesting. You know, one of the big topics today, and we talked about it on the Thunder and Lightning podcast, and then my partner, Joel Coleman, sort of tweeted out his research about it, but it's, it's this interesting thing that, After the Kentucky game, I think that was the availability on Monday, somebody asked Nick Weatherspoon, you know, what was the biggest difference for you? And his quote was, man, that Nike ball is really slick. And so we we did a little digging, and we found this out, that State has shot Nike basketballs in six games this year. They have shot 31 for 134, 23% in those games. 14 games shooting a Wilson basketball, which is what State shoots at home, they are shooting 142 of 342 for 41 and percent. And before you say, "Well, okay, maybe it's just that they're on the road," Statish used the Wilson basketball away from Starville in three games, and in those games, they're 48.7 percent. They're even higher. So, it's I, I'm not going to say this is the reason this is happening, but what an I mean, that's an interesting coincidence—a 20 point percentage drop, basically. Based on the basketball they're using, which of course is what is going to be used at the pavilion. I, I was going to say, you, you, you want to Saturday. let
2: me? You want me to let you in on a little secret? Yeah, this uh, is not Saturday. a three stripe school. They're not a UA school, so yeah. uh, they're they're playing with the Nike basketball.
0: It's yeah, South Carolina is an Under Armour school, but they played with a Wilson basketball, um, yeah. and State shot the three pointer well there. So just a little digging that that Joel and I did, and Joel did most of the uh, the research, so we'll give him the credit. And uh, like I said, it might just be a coincidence, but that is a heck of a coincidence—a 20-point percentage drop, based on you know the kind of basketball you're shooting. Uh, that, thats something that you know, if somebody wants to do a science project on that. I, w- I would certainly encourage it. And, and I agree with you that State's done a good job of bouncing back this year. This will be the third weekend in a row that they'll try to get back to 500. And I mean, that—that—that that, that seems like a grind. You know, you, you you want at some point to start winning some games in a row and, and give yourself a little cushion. State hasn't been able to do that yet, so they're going to have to beat Ole Miss. On Saturday, if they want to be 500 going into next week in those two huge home games with LSU and Kentucky.
2: Although, in reality, Blake Henson might want Mississippi State to bring those Wilson basketballs yeah. with them.
0: Yeah, I, look, and I, I did a quick, just a quick look at that. Ole Miss is shooting, I think, 36% as a team from the three point line. And in Starkville, they shot 40%. So the opposite mm-hmm. was true for them.
2: Yeah, go figure. Um, when we come back, we'll take a look at what happened with Nick Weatherspoon, what the future holds, and what it could mean—or maybe does mean—for Mississippi State. It's Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. I did—I did tweet at Hey Dad during the game last night. I said, "Hey, I stepped away from the TV from 30 seconds. Did I miss any whistles?" I mean, There's it was TV it, Teddy it, Man. It, yeah. I went back and looked at the total foul numbers and they weren't quite as out of whack as it felt like, but good grief, it felt like the second half of that game had zero flow. No flow. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio.
0: Hey,
2: Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. So, Haydad, the Nick Weatherspoon injury, what do you know right now? What can Mississippi State fans expect?
0: Uh, he was supposed to have an MRI today. Before Joel and I recorded our pod, we uh, we reached out to MSU, and they had no comment at that time that, uh, to update his status Talking to Ben Howland last night that he, The Alabama medical staff gave him a quick evaluation After the injury uh, They said they didn't believe it was an ACL tear They said they believed it was something with his patella tendon The word he used And I am certainly not a doctor So I could be butchering this But he subluxed the patella I don't know what that means My, my guess is it's fancy talk for buckled his knee um, So they're going to see if that, that tendon has been torn Has been strained or whatever Based on just the way that he, he reacted to that uh, injury and the way they had to carry him off and, and, and all that, I, I, I'll I be surprised, and this is just me speculating, but I, I would be yeah. surprised to see him Saturday uh, in Oxford.
2: All right. Well, we will certainly keep an eye on that. Right now we're going to jump onto the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Deuce McAllister on your radio. Deuce, the color analyst for the Saints Radio Network. Hey, before we go any farther, Deuce, can I just tell you how good of a job you did this year as the analyst on the radio? Like, just a really good, fun, informative listen.
4: Well, I surely appreciate it. And that was one of the things my goal was just to be able to get better. And, you know, as a player, that's what you set out to do. But obviously, uh, going into the new age, as far as job is concerned, that's something that I wanted to improve on.
2: Well, uh, it's always interesting to, to me when somebody makes a change, especially a former uh, athlete or a former player makes a change, and then they commit to doing something well. You can tell when guys, one, are being coached and two, are working at their craft, and uh, it was extremely evident with you. So uh, keep, up, keep up the good work. Has, has any of the, the heartache lifted in New Orleans? One word, no
4: what <laughs> one, one, one quick word it's going to take some time i think uh and that's the only thing as far as fans and even players uh it'll be once things. You know, this season is over and and the next season comes about you know it starts with free agency draft uh and, and and then you know for 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 some people uh, we will never get over it. Uh, you know it'll it'll be with you forever but at the same time the games will play again the games will be played again and i think that's what you have to kind of look forward to and hang on to
2: and, and is it part of it that, that makes it so difficult, not just for players but fans, is because that, that people realize how hard it is to get to the Super Bowl. Never mind actually winning the game if you get there, but just to actually get to the Super Bowl is so hard, despite what the Patriots have done.
4: Well, the, the Patriots are the gold standard just because they've done it, and it almost looks with ease of how they've been able to do it. You know, you can go back and you can say, "Well, they play in the AFC East, and that's the weaker conference." And you know, you look at the different quarterbacks, uh, how, how much change has happened. Where well, you're talking about the Jets, Buffalo, and Miami, you know, the a division, which is true. But at the end of the day, you still have to deal with injuries. You still have to do, uh, you know, they still have to go out there and play the game. And so to see how Bilicek and obviously Brady have been able to maneuver through all of that and be able to get there consistently has been impressive. And so, uh, you know, it, 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 it's tough. I mean, because next year, look at the you look at the Saints team. You know, A, will they be healthy? I mean, because this year they played for the most part without two starters. Uh, yeah. you had 10 starters coming back on offense this past year. We don't know if that's going to be the case again, you know, and so, uh, it, it, you have to be lucky in a sense. And, you know, everything just fell their way and for it to end the way it did, I think that's what hurts so much.
2: Deuce McAllister on your radio, talking a little bit about the Saints from last week or a couple weeks ago, the NFC Championship game, and we'll look to the Super Bowl in a second. Um, I'm not a guy that just immediately bashes Roger Goodell. I think he's uh, uh, some of the criticism of him is maybe a little unfair. I, I know he has a fancy job description, but I think in reality his job description is to babysit 32 billionaires and make sure they continue to make money, and he seems to do a pretty good job at that. Now, with that said... He used a bunch of words today to kind of describe what happened in New Orleans, but I felt like he didn't really say anything. What was your reaction to what Roger Goodell had to say today? $15
4: $15 billion is what the NFL made this past year. You know, that, that, well, at least last year we hadn't had, we won't get the official numbers this year, hadn't wrapped up. But that's basically what it projected, the, the numbers at the NFL in general. And so, like you talked about with Roger Goodell, his job, um, is not really to represent the players. His job is to represent the owners. And he's done a pretty good job for it. And he has compensated well for that job. I mean, so for him, it's to protect the product. It, it, it is to protect the product, and for the Saints, the fans, the organization. Obviously, you know we're not privy to the conversation that he had with uh, Sean Payton and Miss Mickey Loomis and Miss Benson, But at the end of the day, his press conference and his lack of release of a formal statement—it was almost like a slap. In the face to the to the Saints and 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 the in the fans, and he may have been uh, a little more forgiving to the actual owner. I don't know, you know, and so you know because we're not privy to that. But outside of um, saying a few words, but never really truly answering the question, I would give that yeah. a true assessment of what he what he did.
2: Is there anything, though, I, I, I completely hear what you're saying. By, by not coming out and addressing it in a very public manner feels like a slap in the face. But at the same time, is there anything that he could have said that would have made it any better?
4: Something formally from him, and not necessarily even to the team and or players Because, look, if you've been around the NFL long enough, you know that that game was done. There's nothing that you were going to do about that game. But if I'm paying $300 or $400 for three tickets, two tickets, however many tickets it is, then I want some explanation from the NFL. And as a fan, you didn't get that. You haven't gotten that. I mean, it's basically, hey, look, we want to correct the mistake. It should have been called. But, you know, to to formally do something for the NFL, they haven't given that fan base that. And so, as they say, you want some closure. And they haven't been able to get it.
2: Deuce, what do you think happened? As we've kind of talked about this for a week, I've said I I honestly think that, that that official just froze. I mean if you ask him a hundred times out of a 100 he'd tell you that that was pass interference and for whatever reason he just froze in the biggest moment what do you think happened
4: I, I I agree with that you know there's no conspiracy from the top down there's no conspiracy from the four officials that are from la now it's bad an optic an optical look for the NFL that doesn't look Good from that sense, you know, those four officials being from Southern Cal. But, you know, do I think they had a the fixed hand on the game? No. And and truly, it wasn't the head referee's call to make, even though he probably caught a piece of it. You know, I just think that the referee, the, who's ref, the ref, the official, the, the side judge or line judge, his call, one, he was probably in the wrong position to make the call, probably too close as far as right up on him, that play. Hmm. And here's the other thing. Those officials had not worked as a group together. That's an, all-star, an all-star group. group. I, That's right. I, I, I think from a pride standpoint, even if the main guy doesn't make the call, the one official that next to it, hmm. it's technically not his call as well. And with me not really working with you, Richard, I don't know if you want me to overrule you not making that call. So, you know, for us to not throw any flag, we're just going to stick by what we saw or at least, you know, what we thought we saw because it wasn't my call. And so I think that's what happened. The guy just froze. And then he was almost stubborn to say no. You know, there, were, there, there was no penalty or no, no no foul to be had. And so the other guys stood by that, that call. What I think will happen, uh, there will probably be some type of suspension. We won't really hear or know about it. Of, of, of that official, and then you know they'll talk about some type of rule change, and there may be um, a test period that they experiment with this year. But that's what I figure; something like that will happen. You know, some type of rule change, whether they, they give them a, uh, whether it's a booth review, whether they give them a, a challenge on pass interference, something of that nature, they may experiment with to see if it works. Uh, you know, I think that's where you'll probably have some traction. I don't think an eighth official will be the answer because of the extra official What the problem. I mean, the problem was actually calling the play.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, you're, you're right about that. Deuce, uh, maybe a, a little less than a minute left. You've seen the Rams twice this year. How much of a chance do you give them to beat uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots in the Super Bowl? It,
4: it, it will all depend on that front four for the Rams. If they're able to get after Brady and, and minimize the, the run game for the Patriots, then you know you like the Rams' chance. I'm interested to see how uh, the boot game is what makes the Rams work so well. You know, golf being able to get out on the edge, hit a tight end, hit Brandon Cooks post into a corner. You, you, you want to see how Belichick counters that. So. I, look, I've I said it uh, a couple earlier this year. It's hard to go against Tom Brady in these matchups, and it's hard for me to go against him in this game.
2: I, uh, I don't think you're crazy for that take, not one little bit. Deuce, always appreciate your time. It's been fun all throughout football season. Hope to see you soon, my friend. All right, no problem. Thank you. That is Deuce McAllister, New Orleans Saints Radio Network, greatest New Orleans Saints running back of all time and an All-American at Ole Miss. On the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. More coming up with you after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. So on the Farm Bureau phone line, Deuce said, no, New Orleans has not come close to getting over it. The heartbreak has not subsided. Yes, Roger Goodell used a lot of words to not really say anything no, he is not willing to bet against Tom Brady. And what did I miss?
0: That's all you need to know right there is don't bet against Tom Brady.
2: Yeah. Unless you do and you win and then you were smarter than everybody else.
0: On those rare occasions, I would agree.
2: Yeah. Um, always enjoy... Deuce's perspective, and you heard what he said. I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily trying to lead him down a particular road when I just said, you know, kind of how I view Roger Goodell. I think the guy does a pretty good job at his job. The problem is his job is different from what most football fans think his job is or think his job should be.
0: And that's a fair thats a fair assessment, that I think it, fans think that Roger Goodell is supposed to be their advocate. And that is—he could not be further from the truth. He is there to make sure that the owners are still collecting those big checks at the end of the year. That's who—that's who he works for. And he works for the owners. He doesn't work—he does not work for you, the NFL fan.
2: There was a random question today, kind of apropos of nothing, where a guy goes, "Uh, yeah, hey, Commissioner Goodell, I'm Brian Haydad with the Dallas News, whatever." Um Jerry Jones and the Cowboys haven't been to the Super Bowl since 1996. Is there a conflict of interest that his company Legends is the concession provider uh for Mercedes-Benz Stadium? Which was kind of an out there question. I mean, he's looking for a gotcha moment. Roger Goodell didn't even hesitate. He said, No, it's not a conflict of interest. In fact, Jerry Jones company Legends, you know, of who he is a large has a large financial stake in, uh, help sell PSLs and season ticket packages for this stadium. And they did that because they put together a great model when they opened their stadium, and other teams have contracted with that company to do what they specialize in. I mean, he never even hesitated on a question that was, oh, they
1: were looking for a gotcha moment. They just didn't get it. You can't really gotcha him. You don't get in that position unless you're a really brilliant person yeah and, and
2: a legal background also yeah that also that, that helps
1: yeah I did find um, it funny though that so the way they did these press conferences you have to request even if you show up, you have to request to ask a question. It's not like you put your hand up and some little intern just walks over to you unknowing who you are and hands you a microphone it's it was a selection process. they let one person in New Orleans media, ask him a question, and it was Jeff Duncan, the columnist there for the Times-Picayune. One person. Multiple other New Orleans-based media guys put in questions, and none of them were given the opportunity to do so.
2: Yeah, but I mean, how many... There, there, There's a there lot of were different There were other questions. questions about that situation, though. I mean, yeah, you, you but had but ESPN
1: guys... But they weren't really pressed. He, he could have been uh, – it, it, it doesn't matter, like you say. It just it doesn't matter what he says. It, it's not going to make any difference. But he was not pressed on it today at all. There was not a single um, question that applied pressure to get him to answer anything difficult. Everything, well, they don't allow that. I mean, there, there are that's no follow-ups.
2: Even when Jeff Duncan asked the question, because I think he asked a three-part question, which is dangerous. You're not going to get answers to all three parts one of the things he asked is if there would be repercussions for the official that didn't call the flag. He avoided He answered the first part and the third part of the question, and I thought, well, if Jeff still got the microphone, he should say, and the part about repercussions for the official, clearly he didn't still have the microphone.
1: Right, and they didn't allow anybody based in New Orleans to either press him on that or, or ask any kind of follow-up. They And, you know, if you're the NFL, you shouldn't let that happen, but it's at least no, noteworthy that they... Specifically, prohibited New Orleans-based media to press him on anything at all. Yeah, um, they did take a question from a reporter in China. Took
2: a couple of questions from uh, a couple of Mexican reporters as well. Um, hey, don't don't pretend for a second that there's not an agenda. Of course, oh, of there's course. an agenda. Yeah. Um, so.
1: And as there should be. As long as everybody's going to go along with it, not do anything about it because there's nothing they can do, why would you let that happen?
2: Rippy, is there anything that he said that you caught that stood out to you today? Or just whatever? Goodell? Yeah.
3: I was in class.
2: What's that have to do with whether or not? I watched? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Being studious, man. Oh, really? So you're turning over a new leaf? New month, new me. Sports (laughs) Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. There were three games not involving Mississippi State in the SEC last night. There's also a game tonight involving Ole Miss as the Rebels head to Gator Country to face Florida. Early start for that game. Tips off in about an hour and a half. Got more coming up with you when we come back for hour number two in the Renaissance Bank Studio. A little too tall. Could have use a few pounds? Just after four o'clock with you, Sports Talk Mississippi on now. this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You've heard me talk about them for years now, literally years and years. And years and years is how long Mississippi Land Bank has been financing land like a hundred of them, plus a little bit more, they know what they're doing. And they're really good people. You don't stay in business as long as Mississippi Land Bank has stayed in business if you don't have a reputation for quality work. And that's what they do. They they care about their customers. They care about helping you get the best deal that you can, but also kind of weaving your way through the hurdles that go along sometimes with purchasing a piece of property or getting financed, financing in line for uh, equipment, really big, heavy, expensive equipment that goes along with the farm. If you are not doing business with Mississippi Land Bank, I'd just encourage you to give them a try. You can find a branch location near you. They're spread out across North Mississippi. You can also grab the phone number off of their website, MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. So... Three other games last night in the SEC, and you got a couple of games coming up tonight. I guess three games coming up tonight as well. Tennessee wins again. They win by 22 at South Carolina. Game was close for a while. I think it was a three-point game at one point in the second half, and then Tennessee pulls away. Combination of Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, 47 of the 92 points for Tennessee. and Rippy, the more you watch this team... I think the more impressed you are with how complete they are.
3: Yeah, and they just make it look easy, like like you said. That was a four point game with about seven minutes left, and then they just kind of blew it open. That they, they you know they were really really tough defensively, and that led to a lot of easy buckets in transition. Then you look up in what feels like a minute and a half. It may have actually been a minute and a half in game time. It's thirteen fourteen again, and it's uh, they're really good. They have a lot of veterans that don't really seem to care in terms of like i know it sounds cliche in terms of number and stuff like they make each other better and they're uh they're going to be really dangerous in march
2: borky hey dad is is there a team in recent memory that tennessee reminds you of
0: you know i was trying to think of that and this may sound a little weird because uh tennessee is a power 5 you know sec school and the team i'm going to say is not but I'm thinking like Butler, in terms of just they're just so solid, you know. And then they're that that good Butler team that lost in the championship, and they had they obviously had some players who, who've made their way into the NBA, and, and this team does too. But there's not they don't have that truly elite talent level like you see with Duke, Kansas teams like that. They're just a good team, and they have you know they have good individual players, but. I think what Rippy's trying to say, and what I would say, is that the, the 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 whole is greater than the sum of the parts, somehow. Good players that have turned into a great team.
1: Yeah, I was thinking the, the first thing that popped in my head was Gonzaga. Okay. Don't have a massive NBA profile. It's not a team filled with a bunch of guys that are going to be lottery picks and instant impact guys in the league next year, but it just... A really solid team that appears to be well coached and they play really good basketball together. Wisconsin would be, or at least the Wisconsin of old. That's that good, yeah. yeah. Would be another example, I think. I know they're
2: made differently than the two Villanova teams that have won two of the last three national championships, or two of the last four national championships, but there is kind of a common denominator and that is experience. You know, there are a bunch of analysts. Seth Greenberg's talked about this. Jimmy Dykes has talked about this a lot. Get old and stay old if you want to stay relevant in college basketball. There certainly are exceptions, Duke and Kentucky being at the top of the list with with one-and-done guys. But if you look at the makeup of the Tennessee roster, the guys that are really contributing, Kyle Alexander's a senior, Jordan Bone is a junior, Jordan Bowden is a junior, um, Admiral Schofield is a senior. Lamonte Turner is a junior. Grant Williams is a junior. So, what is that? Six guys that are either juniors or seniors that are playing the lion's share of the minutes. They've seen pretty much anything that you can throw at a team, whether it's defensively or offensive schemes, you know, play fast, play slow, whatever. You, you can't really rattle them with anything that you do. And I think there's something to be said for that. Add they all to that road, road environments. That, yeah, I
3: mean, they won a road game by 20-plus last night without Jordan Bowden and really didn't really sweat
1: it much. Borky, what were you saying? Uh, just to add into that, road environments. They're not intimidated when they go on the road. 10,000 people screaming at them is just another day at the office. Yeah, 18,000 last night in
2: Columbia. Packed house. Yeah, that doesn't bother them. And I think I read maybe the last four road games that they've played have all been sellouts for the opponent. Now Vanderbilt, a little bit different because there were about 8,000 Tennessee fans that were at that game in Nashville. Um, That's a good fan base, though, that even though it has the reputation for being all football all the time, they are supporting basketball in a big, big way. All right, what about the games tonight? Florida, according to... ESPN's Basketball Power Index has a 78 percent chance to win the game tonight. Does that surprise you at all?
0: It, it, it seems high. It, it does seem high. But we went to, We were talking about it yesterday, though, Richard. For some reason, analytics man, they love. They love them. And I don't know why, but they do. And so, yeah, it, it seems high to me. But we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I think it's going to be a close... game. You're, you're Mr. Ken Palm. What does Ken Palm say about this
2: one? 69% chance for Florida to win. That's pretty overwhelming. He, he's got the score prediction of 68-62.
1: Mm-hmm. So um, thinks they'll
0: win, but thinks it'll be close.
1: Maybe I'm off on this. Isn't Florida a pretty good matchup for Ole Miss, though? I mean, they won't overwhelm you with bigs like they've been overwhelmed with bigs recently.
3: That's certainly true. But I think to the to the point of why they have such a good chance of winning it with the way Ole Miss has played in the last week and particularly with the way the guards have shot the ball and kind of given the setup of this game, like who need like both these teams need this game bad, but who would you say needs it worse? Well, Probably
1: Florida, Florida needs it worse because I mean they might be on the outside looking in and it's at home.
3: That's not an easy place to go win, either. I don't necessarily think it's a bad matchup for Ole Miss, but you know they're going to have to have more consistent play from their backcourt than they've gotten in the last couple games. Oh, sure.
2: So, Kayvon Allen is the leading scorer for Florida, almost 13 points a game. You remember him as a sophomore when he was fantastic. He was not very good last year, and he's been a little up and down this year. I think I said earlier in the week that it was Noah Locke, the freshman, who had gotten hurt. It's actually Keith Stone who had the knee injury and is out. They've got three freshmen that really jump out at you. None more than Andrew Nimhard, who's averaging seven points and almost six assists a game. He's just a solid player. I, I was doing an interview with, uh, with Pat Dooley from the Gainesville Sun yesterday and we were just kind of talking about this Florida team. You know, Kavarius Hayes is a guy that's been around the league for a while. You know what you're going to get with him. He's going to give you 6 to 10 points every night, and he's going to give you 6 to 10 rebounds. He's not a guy, as a post player, that's going to go for 20 points and 10 rebounds. That's just not who he is. His skill set isn't there, but he is a really big energy guy. I think the first... What, five to eight minutes of this game are really, really important. I know it's a 40-minute game. Rippy, I think you made the point yesterday, or or maybe it was on Monday, that when things don't go well for Ole mrs guards in the first few minutes of the game, then sometimes it's like they have trouble ever getting back into a rhythm. you agree with that? Did you say that, or did I just make that up? Honestly, I don't really remember, but let's it's go It's a pretty it. good take,
3: so accept it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. It, honestly, it de- yeah, I mean, it's tr- I think it's true for the most part. It depends on...
2: Breein uh, Tyree or Terrence Davis hit their first couple of shots. It feels like they might have a big night. Sure. Schuller not so much. He's a little
3: more even keel. So, I think generally, yes, but I think it kind of depends on who you're talking about in particular. But from a scoring perspective, sure. Like, if Brian Tyree Tyree said this, if he said, if I hit my first couple shots, I know it's going to be a good night. And then you've seen kind of Terrence Davis be a little erratic, particularly when he's not contributing offensively. He's gotten better about that not letting affect the rest of his game, but it's not at the consistent level that they're going to need. Pick a winner tonight. You got Ole Miss or Florida? Oh, man. Hey, Dad, you're I good. I just at- don't see it. I, I, I mean, I w- it wouldn't shock me if Ole Miss went down there and won, but I, I would if I had to make a pick, I'd probably lean Florida. What about you,
0: Hey, Dad? It's tough to win on the road. I'm going to take the Gators.
1: Borky? Contrarian. I like the matchup. Florida doesn't have overwhelming bigs, so I'll take Ole Miss. All
2: right, that's two for Florida and one for Ole Miss. <laughs> Forced off Mississippi with you Wednesday afternoon. Got old Miss hoops coming up in a little less than an hour tonight. Rebels are at Florida. Tips off at 5.30 on the SEC Network. Earlier today, Roger Goodell met with media in Atlanta for his annual State of the League address and got a bunch of questions about all kinds of different stuff, including the blown call in New Orleans a week and a half ago. Borky, should, uh, should we listen in to a little bit of what Roger Goodell had to say?
1: Yeah, this was just his first answer to the blown call question. He got a few follow-ups but danced around them mostly. I, I just Here was his first answer to being asked about that blown call.
5: You know that I never disclose my com- private conversations with anybody. Uh, I was very open, just as I was here. It's a play that should be called. Uh, we're going to make sure that we do everything possible to address the issues going forward and, and see if there are improvements that we can make through Vincent replay or anything else. I understand the emotions. It's important as commissioner and all of our staff, which uh, several of us have done, is to hear that emotion, uh, whether it's frustration, disappointment, anger. Uh, those are things, um, quite frankly, I hear frequently during the season from clubs. Um, But I understand the stage, and I understand the importance of it to New Orleans and to this franchise and to the NFL. And so I made them aware of the fact that uh, I was committed to doing everything possible to think outside the box and try to come up with solutions.
2: So we got the think outside the box cliche there at the end. Here's here's what uh, uh, – let's see. Part of what bothers me about – Roger Goodell's answered that question is that the NFL its owners and the commissioner's office do not value the fans and their opinion enough to issue a statement because what I heard Roger Goodell say was you're asking me why we didn't address this and what I'm telling you is I addressed it with the people that matter I talked to Sean Payton, Sean Payton talked to Al Uh I've talked to Mickey Loomis, I've talked to Gail Benson. We've talked about it at the league level. So we've taken care of what we're supposed to do, so just zip it, okay? Which to me says, we don't really care that much about the fans. Which completely dismisses the idea that The fans are important, and if you didn't have the fans, you wouldn't have the game.
1: Fans that watch on TV, fans that go to the games. Well, and the players as well. I mean, Michael Thomas has been pretty vocal on Twitter, um, and it's kind of funny. He tweeted a few years ago, I don't know what game he was watching, but you want to blame the refs, ha, 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 or something like that. So that's coming back to bite him. But Michael Thomas has been vocal on Twitter, like nobody from the NFL has talked to me or anybody on my team. So he's talked to the owner. He's talked to maybe our coach. But nobody's talked to us, and we're the ones that don't don't get to play in the Super Bowl. Why not? Yeah. Well, maybe they view the players in the same
2: way they view the fans.
1: Pretty much. The NFL is a league of lip service. That's all it
0: is. They give lip service. We care about the fans, and then they they do things like this. We care about player safety, but head-to-head things don't get called. Uh, we, We care about this, that, and the other, but they continually do things. The NFL cares about money. That's all they care about, and as long as it continues and they made to fifteen
1: in, billion dollars last and year,
0: and as long as it continues to flow in, the lip service will will flow in as well.
1: And ratings are stabilized; they're back up and back to normal. And yep. the Super Bowl is going to have one hundred and ten million people in the United States watch it, and it's all good.
2: C Spire text line. Those are the words of a gutless, lying company slug, and I'm not even a Saint a Saints Ooh. fan. <laughs>
0: So it's really his job to
3: be
2: a gutless lying company well, slug. Well, but here's what I would say to that, and hey, Dan, I kind of pointed this out earlier. His job, I, I, I think when we were talking to Deuce, I said his job is to babysit 32 billionaires and to make sure that the bank account of those billionaires continues to rise. Mm-hmm. And Borky just kind of outlined it a second ago. He, he does that exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. And if he has to have the majority of NFL fans hate him to continue making $30 million a year and to keep those 32 billionaire owners happy, I think he, he's, he's okay with that lot in life.
0: I would, I would agree with that. It's sort of, you know, when we've talked about the NCAA in the past, one of the points I always try to make is, you know, the NCAA is the schools. The schools are the ones who are, are, are the NCAA. And it's sort of the same thing here. The NFL is the owners. It's, it's They they are the ones who control everything. So nothing is ever going to get changed until a majority of owners want it changed. And right now, $15 billion, they're probably just pretty content to say, you know what, we're good. We, we don't need any big changes. Because why would you want to upset any anything that's bringing in that kind
1: of money? I do expect the competition committee meetings this summer to actually be noteworthy this time around, though. Because it. it he said, I've watched most of his press conference and, and didn't find much audio to play for you, but I did find he kept talking about everything's good. I understand the Saints are upset. I understand New Orleans is upset, but he's kind of missing the point that there are other teams, other players, other coaches and the Players Association's statements on this prove that point that are watching this carefully. The Saints aren't the only ones that are worried about the how that went down. Maybe the Jaguars, I'm just throwing a team out there, aren't vocal about it, but I promise you there are other coaches and owners and players in the league that are looking at that and thinking, you know, this doesn't sit right with me. And maybe we finally should do something about it. So I think the competition committee meetings where they actually go and change rules are going to come up with something other than, well, maybe we'll move the kickoff back five yards. The the other
2: thing I think that, that, that Roger Goodell pointed out that is easy to get glossed over is they've had some of these discussions in their competition committee meetings before. There's just never been an appetite to adopt some sort of a challenge system for plays that did not have a penalty called on them or an override from either New York or the replay booth when there was not a foul on a play. It's not like that's a completely foreign concept. There's just not anybody that's ever been interested in that. And I wonder if it's one of those things where they say, look, if we ever have something that is incredibly egregious that, I don't know, keeps a team out of a Super Bowl... Then we'll address it at the time, but for now we don't need to put that in place. So instead of being proactive, they're reactionary with yeah. regard to what they may or may not implement.
0: Very few multi-billion-dollar businesses like this are going to be proactive like that. Most of them are just going to see where the where the tide takes them. You know, it, it, it takes the rare innovator to uh, to you know to say we can. This is going great, but we can we can make it better. Most people would just be able to say, "It's going great." And Wh-
2: wouldn't it you bad. say that's the difference in just being a Fortune 500 company and being a company that's transcendent? So, 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 a couple of examples in the business world that I, I'll give you two big examples and then give you a, a more local example as well. Um, Jeff Bezos has never just accepted that, oh yeah, we're making a lot of money, we're not going to change anything. He's pushed the envelope with Amazon in a way and, and with a vision that nobody could have ever dreamed would be possible, and he has changed the entire world of retail business in the United States. Yeah. Um, Elon Musk, a guy who has pushed dreaming of space travel and... Battery powered cars to a level that most people would just laugh at. And then I, I, I'll tell you this from a local perspective, and it's only because I've worked with him and, and have kind of seen this. Ceasefire has been like that in Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, under Hugh Mina's leadership. But early on, and, and you know that Ceasefire has been part of this show since the very beginning. I would would talk with Humina, and he wouldn't say, "Oh yeah, great job. That, that's really." His question was always, "Well, well, how are you going to grow? Well, how's the show going to get better? Well, oh yeah, that was good, but what, but what are you going to do next? And that was not a way that I had generally approached things. It was okay, we're doing something well. Let's keep it rolling. It's like, no, what what what's next? And. It doesn't feel like that's the way the NFL's operating. The NFL's not, at least not publicly, what can we do to make ourselves better? What can we do to get out in front of something before it ever happens so that that we're perfectly positioned when it does happen? The NFL, who made $15 billion last year, what Deuce told us earlier today, is that... Things are going great. We're continuing to grow a little bit year after year. We'll just react when we've got to react yep. as opposed to being a visionary company. And, and maybe when you're a blue blood, you, you, you kind of get to act that way a little more so than if you're a startup. Sports off Mississippi with you. On this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippy. A little baseball news for you. The SEC released its Baseball Network TV schedule today. And if you're a fan of the Bulldogs or the Rebels, you got a bunch of games on TV. So two of Mississippi State's three games against Florida. The weekend of March Fifteenth, sixteenth, and seventeenth are on the SEC network. All three of Ole Miss's games against Missouri, the next to last weekend in March, are SEC network games. I thought that was an odd series to take all three games. I don't know if there's some that's, quota where you got to do a certain. That's my first of games thought there. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and you're only taking one from Ole Miss, Mississippi State, but you're going to take the whole Ole Miss-Missouri series.
1: Yeah. Um, that'll be just killer atmospheres that they can showcase on their network.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. LSU that is at Mississippi State, right? Hey dad.
0: Yeah, I'm being starvel.
2: The Thursday night game will be on ESPNU. The Friday night game will be on the SEC Network. Yeah. How do you feel about Thursday night games in the SEC? Not a fan. Yeah. You just don't get I'm, the environment I'm, I'm so that you get old otherwise.
0: I'm so old school, I miss the old Saturday doubleheaders, to be totally honest with you.
3: It is nice getting like I don't mean this literally from my perspective, just from like people wanting to like Sunday having a Sunday off every now and then, particularly from the team's perspective too, isn't quite nice.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure it's true. Yeah.
2: But but you lose Yeah, I guess depending on who you're playing and what the weather's like. The Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon atmosphere Generally, trumps Thursday night. I guess Friday and Saturday are still good. Yeah. Yeah, sure for for the most part. Um, Ole Miss at Arkansas. Two of those games are on television. One of them you're going to have to stay up really late. Is that correct? Eight o'clock Central Time. Eight o'clock Central Time first pitch on ESPN. U.
0: I thought these were these were these were Central Times. I was like a nine o'clock first pitch. (laughs) That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's Eight like is ma- at least somewhat acceptable.
3: Yeah. If that's like a marginally quick-paced game, that thing's over, what, eleven twenty?
2: Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, well, that's a three-hour and 20-minute game, yeah. I mean, if, it, it easily could go to midnight. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that two teams seems...
0: that can hit, so you're probably not going to get what you're, what you're asking for there, Rippey.
2: I just that that amazes me that they put it at eight. One game in the Florida at Ole Miss series is on television. Saturday night, April sixth. Um, seven o'clock first pitch. Kentucky at Ole Miss is a Saturday night game with the first pitch at seven o'clock. So a couple of nighttime Saturday games. I don't remember the last time you've had that in Oxford. Alabama at Mississippi State, Sunday, April 14th. Is that Super Bulldog?
0: weekend that i believe it is let me double check i'm pretty sure i'm right there
2: or or is super bulldog weekend when georgia comes to town april 27th
0: let's see here i'm, I'm almost positive it's it's before it is yeah that is super bulldog weekend okay because so, i have some friends that are cpas that are not happy about a pre-april 15th super bulldog weekend
2: that's right you've said that before i i okay yeah. let me i think i said saturday The Saturday Super Bulldog weekend game is not on television. It's the Sunday game. Yeah. Game three of the
0: series. That's crazy.
2: A 3 o'clock first pitch on a Sunday. Mississippi State at Arkansas, another 8 o'clock first pitch. That's on Thursday, April 18th. Uh, A&M at Ole Miss, Thursday night game on the SEC Network at 6. Georgia at Mississippi State is on TV. Two Mississippi State at A&M games one game of the series Ole Miss at LSU on May fifth, and then one game of the Mississippi State Ole Miss series in Oxford Game Three, a Sunday game with a noon first pitch on ESPN two. That's a bunch. There were there were ten Ole Miss games. I didn't count the ones from Mississippi it's one, ten. Two, it's three, ten for State. One, two, three, four. Okay, so both Ole Miss and Mississippi State with ten games that are either um, that well, one of the following networks: either the SEC Network, ESPNU, or ESPN Two. So, anything jump out at you there?
0: Uh, well, the one thing you mentioned, not having the Saturday Super Bowl All Game, is surprising to me. It's because it's, it's just been such a uh, a tradition there. I, I would say that. And then the thing we pointed out: I don't get why the entire old Miss-Missouri series is going to be televised when. You know, Ole Miss State only gets one game. LSU State only one, two games.
1: Uh, I'm you telling know. you, it's because they want to highlight the exceptional atmosphere that they have in Columbia, Missouri. Do you right. think
3: that's a not a misprint, but do you think that was a mistake when they compiled it? Like, do you think right after it came out, it's like,
1: oh, wait a second?
0: Well, you think they could change it? I mean, you they, got two months. They they
2: might yeah. flex
1: a game or two in there. I just i. That
2: one's baffling. All right, some of you are about to get the uh, Old Miss Basketball pregame show as they get set for a game with the Florida Gators. The rest of you, hour number three is coming up. Sports Talk, Mississippi, in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you.
1: And if you're still hearing us right now, that means basketball did not knock us off the air. That's right, Old Miss Basketball starts uh, early tip off with Florida here. In about 25 minutes, and some of our stations have been taken over, but if you're still hanging on listening to us or you switched over to the app or online at supertalk.fm, we're glad you did. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you for the rest of the day today. And This is supposed to be the college football fix, but we had some breaking news. Friend of the show, Joel T. Coleman... Uh, We talked earlier about the injury to, even though the notes for the show today written by me said Q Weatherspoon. It was not. It was Nick (laughs) Weatherspoon uh, who was injured last night. It's hard. I admire the equipment people at Mississippi State for fitting their names on the jersey. That's got to be a difficult task. They have a big arching loop on the back of their jerseys. But yes, Nick Weatherspoon. And hey, Dad, we got some good news on that front just a few minutes ago.
0: Yeah, the MRI has come back negative on Nick Weatherspoon. No structural damage. Uh, they'll continue to evaluate him. My guess is what that means is he will take it easy at practice these next couple of days, and then they'll see if he can go Saturday in Oxford. I, I won't be – I'm sort of torn. You know, I wouldn't be completely surprised if they sat him out just to make sure he's okay. But this is a big game for Mississippi State. They, they really need to win it, and they they need Nick Weatherspoon uh to, to be on the court for them to have a really good chance to do that so they'll monitor it and I'm sure they you know they're not gonna do anything to put him at risk but the good news in that it doesn't appear to be a major injury
1: yeah for sure because I mean realistically they only really take one guard off the bench in their regular rotation so if it would have been long term and I guess in the short term depending on how quickly he can get back and it looked ugly at the time I know uh, as I was watching the game, and every few minutes i pull out my phone to, to read what people that are also watching the game are, are reacting to on Twitter. That's kind of how I watch the game. I, I watch and then see what other people are saying about the game I'm watching. And people, not even in Mississippi, just random people are like, oh man, prayers to him, brutal injury. So it looked really bad to the point where people were – uh, doing the send prayers to Nick Weatherspoon because he may have just lost his season. What would they have done, and what will they done or do in the short term? Well,
0: I mean, they, they really have two options. I think option one, and probably the more likely choice, is to bring Tyson Carter into the starting lineup, maybe put him at the two, and then let Quindary Weatherspoon slide down to the three. So you would go Peters, Carter, Weatherspoon, uh, Holman, and Adu. The other option, and we talked about Reggie Perry a little earlier in the show, would be to go to a big lineup and go with Peters and Q in the backcourt and then go Perry, Holman, and uh, and Adu. I think if, if you did that, if you're talking, if you wanted to say who's the three, I think that's more Holman because he's a little bit more of a perimeter player, a little bit more of a wing, and, and Perry's a little bit more of a traditional power forward. So that might be the way you go with that. I, I think if, if, if Weatherspoon can't go on Saturday, you'll see Carter in the starting lineup. But Reggie Perry is going to have to play a bigger role for MSU, not only in this game against Ole Miss, but but going forward this season.
1: This also makes you wonder why a similar rule, like the college, the football redshirt rule, where they can play in four games. So yeah. tw- what is it? Twenty five percent of the oh no thirty three percent of the season. Uh, yeah. Why that doesn't immediately apply to basketball as well?
0: Yeah, because that could work for Mississippi State with DJ Stewart redshirting this year could be an opportunity for him. But uh, now if Weatherspoon was out for the season. I think they might have to consider pulling that red shirt at this at this late point in the year, but if it, with him looking like he's going to be okay, I don't I don't want to see that happening.
1: Yeah, great news for sure on the basketball front for Mississippi State. They get an extra day off compared to their opponents. Uh, as Ole Miss will tip off here again in like 20 minutes or so in Gainesville against Florida. Uh, I do want to hit on this Mississippi State first before I even ask you this hypothetical. Also, has just made a new addition to their football staff, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Deek Adams, who was hired at Memphis not uh, four weeks ago, uh, leaving North Carolina, leaving Larry Fedora's staff there when they were all given the axe. But now he is headed to Mississippi State. Mississippi native from Meridian, coached at USM previously with Fedora and also at South Carolina uh, previous to that. So, you know, some SEC experience, some Mississippi connections, Uh, We'll see what he brings to Starkville, but he is being brought in as the new defensive line coach to replace Brian Baker, who, of course, is at Alabama
1: now. Okay, on that note, this is something that I was pondering earlier this morning. So Mississippi State, it's no secret, has had pretty significant coaching staff turnover after this season, and uh, there are really two ways to look at it. The truth tends to fall right in the middle, but there are two ways to look at it, the optimist or the pessimist. The optimist would say, Losing staff members to upgraded jobs, you lost Hudspeth to a head coaching gig, and everybody else either went to Nick Saban or to the NFL, Uh, is a clear indication that Joe Moorhead has the ability to evaluate and hire good assistants for his staff. And then there's the pessimist that's like, oh, everybody's jumping ship because the number one defense in the country lost five games, and everybody's getting out while they still can. Where is the truth? In that, and also a second layer is now that you've seen a few hires that he's made after he lost his initial staff, how would you grade the hires that he's made?
0: Well, the first, the, to answer the second part of the question first, you know, I have to wonder. Yeah, he just—he's a year removed from hiring a full staff. How many of these guys were on his list a year ago that he just was able to come back to? And if that's the case, that's probably you know smart on his part that he's like you know, was Terry Richardson his number two guy if Huff had told him, hey, I'm going to stay at Penn State or or something like that? So there's something to be taken for that. These coaches appear to be pretty good hires. The the, 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 the the common vein with them is that it seems that their reputation is that as a, of a recruiter and you know for Mississippi State to get better and to really challenge the top teams in the west, it, it it's more about they've got to get talent in. So getting, you know, better recruiters on staff is probably a good start. As far as the, the first part of your question, I lean more towards these guys got better job offers. Mark hutsmith is now a head coach. Uh Luke Getzi went back to the NFL because Aaron Rodgers basically asked him to come back. And then Huff and Baker are both headed to Alabama, which we we will agree is one of the two top programs uh in the country. So it's not like these guys, and I no offense to fans of these programs, but you know, if Charles Huff had taken the same job at Colorado State, or I don't if think, we have know, a
1: Colorado State fan listening right now, our he's, he's just like, what did he say?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, or you know, if they if they had gone to Nevada or, or Wake Forest, then then you are like, wow, what, what's what's up with that? It Doesn't make a lot of sense. They went to Alabama, you know. I can't, can't you know, it, 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 are the optics of it great for Mississippi State? No, you look like you are being sort of picked. Like a Sunbelt school would be picked for, for its staff. But at the end of the day, Alabama offers more money and they offer a, a quick you know, for somebody like Huff, who I've said in the past has got the makings of a future head coach, you know, the path is easier when you're at Alabama. You know, a couple years there and, and chances are you're gonna be an offensive coordinator at a at a power five school and from there it's it's a quick jump to being a head coach. Whereas at Mississippi State, you know, it's going to be. It's just tougher. It's just tougher. So I, I, I tend to lead towards the. Believe it or not, coming from me, I tend to lead more towards the positive side on that, and that these guys were just given better offers, and that it, it speaks pretty well of Moorhead's ability to, to, to evaluate coaches.
1: Yeah, and that's the explanation that makes the most sense. Here's Occam's Razor again. I'm talking about philosophers on the radio. I did have speaking of random fans that listen. I, I ran in a 5k back when I was actually in shape and I had a super talk shirt on and, and a guy just approached me and said, Hey, I, I listen to you, your show in the afternoon, every day, the sports show. And he's like, actually, I don't listen as much anymore because I'm a Purdue fan. And one day one of you said, well, nobody really cares about Purdue. Why are we even talking about them? <laughs> and my heart was broken ever since. And
0: <laughs> yeah. I know, I know a Purdue fan. That's interesting.
1: Uh, I, I apologize to him, but man, you just you don't think I, I've had. On the th- the flip side, I've had a Penn State fan send me. I'm not kidding. A three thousand word email. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I copy and pasted it into Microsoft Word. It was a three thousand word email. Uh, it was when Penn State decided to do uh, honoring of the national championship team. I, I forget what year it was. It was it was Joe Paterno's sixteen. Yeah where they honored one of Joe Paterno's teams and we said it was a bad look and Mm -hmm. just tone-deaf at best that soon after that happened. Yeah, Um, 3,000-word email uh, from a Penn State fan. So the diversity of our our listenership is a little bit greater than you would expect, I think. Well, that that said, to any
0: Colorado State... Nevada or Wake Forest fans, I may have offended. (laughs) I would like to apologize. I'm not apologizing that I, because you were offended either. I will actually apologize for my offensive words.
5: (laughs) Fair enough.